Well, good to see you, everybody, this morning. Welcome to uh, Explore Life. Uh, we're continuing a series together called Life in the 21st Century, and this morning we're looking at the theme Facebook. Uh, I don't know whether you know, but uh, in October 2003, a student at Harvard University called Mark Zuckerberg developed an internet site called FaceMash. Zuckerberg scanned in photographs from student newspapers and yearbooks and things at Harvard, and on his website, he put two of these photos at a time up on the website and asked users to vote for who they thought was the hottest. The site was very quickly shut down by the authorities at Harvard University, and Zuckerberg was charged with copyright and security violations and threatened with expulsion. He managed to get off those charges, and in February 2004, while still at Harvard, he founded a thing called the Facebook, an internet site allowing users to message one another and find online friends. Initially, membership was restricted to just Harvard University students, and within a month, almost half the students at Harvard were signed up on the Facebook. The Facebook then expanded to take in other universities, then schools, and finally, on September the 26th, 2006, now just called Facebook, it opened up to any user who was over the age of 13. Today, Facebook, just two and a half years on, has 175 million active users, and the company that Zuckerberg founded that runs Facebook is now worth approximately $15 billion. Facebook, if you don't know it, allows users to locate friends from all across the world, add information about what they're doing and what's happening in their lives, and share photographs. Users can sign up to common interest groups. We have one. East Hampstead Baptist Church has a group on Facebook with now over 40 users. Facebook works through allowing you to find people and set them up as your friends, using searches on school, location, that kind of thing. And once you've been set up as a friend of someone, you can see what's happening in their lives, they can see what's happening in yours and post status updates, and you can message one another. Facebook is what's known as a social networking site, and social networking websites are a phenomenon of the 21st century. Five years ago, no one had really heard of them, and yet today, sites like Facebook, Friends Reunited, MySpace, and Twitter have millions and millions of users and they connect people from all over the world, and they allow for online friendships. The face of friendships is truly being changed by the social networking revolution, and our lives are being changed as a result. But is it good or bad? Does it enhance our lives or enslave us to a computer screen? Social networking websites give us a whole new way of meeting people and creating friendships and community, but do they really work? Do they really provide what is necessary for great friendships? Somebody sent me a link this week to an article knowing what we were talking about today from the BBC News website about what's the ideal number of friends and I want to read a little bit of this to you. This article says, The more friends you have, the more money you earn, says a study. But modern life can allow little time to maintain meaningful relationships, so what's the optimum number of friends? It's widely accepted that friendships are invaluable to the soul, but few of us were aware that they could also boost the bank account. A study of 10,000 US students over a period of 35 years suggests that the wealthiest people are those that had the most friends at school. Each extra school friend added 2% to the salary. I love that. 
every school friend added 2% to the salary. The researchers said this was because the workplace is a social setting and those with the best social skills prosper in management and teamwork. If a wide circle of friends is taken as a popularity indicator, does that mean that the more you have, the more successful and happy you are? Or can you have too many? What's the best number? Well, the average number is 150, according to leading anthropologist Robin Dunbar. This usually consists of an inner circle of five core people and an additional layer of ten, he says. That makes 15 people. Some will probably be family members who are your central group and then outside that there's another 35 in the next circle and another 100 on the outside. And that's one person's social world. So having great friendships can, according to this study, boost our income. It can also keep us fit and healthy. An author called Leslie Parrott wrote a book about relationships and in it he says this, Friends make the ordinary running errands or eating lunch, lunch for example, extraordinarily fun and good friends ease our pain and lighten our heavy load. Not only are friends good for the soul, but for the body as well. Friends help us ward off depression, boost our immune system, lower our cholesterol, increase the odds of surviving with coronary disease, and keep stress hormones in check. He goes on to say, a half a dozen top medical studies now bear this out. Their findings didn't seem to be influenced by other conditions or habits, such as obesity, smoking, drinking, or exercise. The thing that mattered most was friends. What's more, research is showing that you can extend your life expectancy by having the right kind of friends. So it seems that friendships are hugely important. They can make us more wealthy and they can expand our life expectancy. Medical research now confirms that our lives are enhanced by having great friendships. But you know, God has always known this to be true. Right at the beginning of God's story in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates human beings, and he says that it is not good for humans to be alone, i.e. they need to be in relationships. And further than this, this need for relationship actually goes right to the very heart of God. Because you see, God exists in relationship. Three people, Father, Son, and Spirit, in relationship with one another. That is the very existence, the very heart of God. And Genesis tells us that human beings are made in the image of God. Therefore, we are made with the need, like God, for relationships. So this medical research just confirms what God has always known, that human beings are made for relationships. We need them. But what are the characteristics of great friendships? And do the new technologies that are available to us in the 21st century help with those? There is great power in friendship. Watch this clip. There's real power in friendship. Uh, the film, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, is a film about the power of friendship, about how a Jewish boy and the son of a Nazi concentration camp commander build a friendship. They should never have met, and certainly they should never have got to know one another. Such was the divide between them, and yet the power of friendship overcomes the divide. There is great power in friendship. But do Facebook friends really constitute the kind of friendships that we need? There was another thing in that uh, article from the BBC website, a little box called, I have 700 friends. It says this, Tox Timpson, 41 from Croydon, has 707 Facebook friends. 
He says this, I've actually known or have met or worked with or went to school or am related to at least 550. The others are just friends of friends or random acts from people. Having that number of friends is a lot of work for sure. But I'm a bit of a raver and also someone who makes friends easily. Are those 707 people really friends? A man called Paul writes a lot of letters that are included in the Bible to us and he writes letters to people all over um, the world. And uh, in one of the letters he addresses the issue of friendship. He addresses all kinds of issues. But in one of the letters in particular to a bunch of people living in Rome he talks about the need for having great friendships. And he talks about some of the characteristics that make up a really good friendship. And I've put them under three headings, all beginning with A, so that we can remember them easily. The first thing Paul says is that a great friendship needs authenticity. He says this, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you should. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. Paul is saying that we need to know who we are. We have to make sure we don't get ideas above our station. Or conversely, have such low self-esteem that we don't believe anyone can really like us. Great friends are real people who display authenticity. Great friends know who they are. They do not think of themselves more highly than they should. They don't think that they are the most important people and the universe revolves around them. They are interested in others. They can be real with people, transparent with their friends, because they're comfortable with who they are. They are what you see is what you get kind of people. No masks, just who they are. The problem is that unless a relationship is authentic, it makes it very difficult for there to be a good friendship. To have that kind of authentic relationship requires some important things. It requires a commitment to telling the truth. Have you ever had that kind of friendship where you are always worried about what that person was saying about you or whether they really liked you? There was just a nagging doubt there somehow. It can create a real tension. It's a barrier to friendship. As well as telling the truth, there needs to be a commitment to asking the tough questions. How are you really doing? Are you really sure that's the right thing? These commitments help us towards authenticity, which is vitally important for a good friendship. The second thing that's really important is acceptance. Paul, in this letter to this people in, these group of people in Rome, uses the metaphor of a body. And he talks about a body and how a group of friends is like a body made up of different parts. And although they're different, each part needs the other one to function properly. That's acceptance. Accepting that we need each other. That we have unique personalities, unique gifts and unique strengths. I think that one of the best ways to be a great friend is just to let someone know that you're there for them, that you're standing with them. And standing alongside someone means a couple of things. It means that you need to accept them as who they are and be prepared to assist them. And I think that we all want that really, to be accepted for who we are as we are. One of the other things Paul wrote in this same letter was this, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. You see, God's love demonstrated for us in Jesus Christ is unconditional. We are unconditionally accepted by God. There is no need for a mask with God, no need to be people that we are not. And Paul says, in the same way, so should we unconditionally accept others. 
in some of the wisdom sayings in the Bible in a book called Proverbs it says a friend loves at all times a friend loves at all times it doesn't mean that you always have to agree with your friends it doesn't mean that you always have to agree with what they are doing or have done it just means accepting them nonetheless allowing them to be themselves and the key to enabling us to do this is to remember our own mistakes and our own deficiencies it seems to me that it's much easier to accept another person to forgive them if we need to in a relationship if we realize how often we are in need of acceptance and forgiveness the final A is assistance assistance Paul says that people should be devoted to one another great friends help each other they're prepared to use their gifts and abilities to help other people they go the extra mile and incredible things can happen when they do let me tell you a story to illustrate my point this man's name was Fleming and he was a poor Scottish farmer one day while trying to make a living for his family he heard a cry for help coming from a nearby bog he dropped his tools and ran to the bog there mired to his waist in black muck was a terrified boy screaming and struggling to free himself Farmer Fleming saved the lad from what would have been a slow and terrifying death. The next day, a fancy carriage pulled up to the Scotsman's sparse surroundings. An elegantly dressed nobleman stepped out and introduced himself as the father of the boy that Farmer Fleming had saved. I want to repay you, said the nobleman. You saved my son's life. No, I can't accept payment for what I did, the Scottish farmer said. It was nothing. He waved off the offer. At that moment, the, father's own, the farmer's own son came to the door of the family hovel. Is that your son? the nobleman asked. Yes, the farmer replied proudly. The nobleman said, I'll make you a deal. Let me take him and give him a good education. If the lad is anything like his father, he'll grow up to be a man that you can be proud of. And so that happened. The farmer and the nobleman became friends, and the nobleman took the farmer's son off and educated him. And I wonder if the nobleman ever realized what his act of friendship would do, the impact it would have. Because you see, in time that boy, Farmer Fleming's son, graduated from St. Mary's Hospital Medical School in London because of the education he'd received from the nobleman. And he went on to become known throughout the world as Sir Alexander Fleming, the discoverer of penicillin. And years afterward, the nobleman's son was stricken with pneumonia. And what saved him? Penicillin, the name of the nobleman, Lord Randolph Churchill. His son's name, Winston. The act of friendship by the nobleman to the farmer. Well, it had huge implications for the world that we live in. That story is about a friendship and how both parties somehow went the extra mile from their friend, for their friends. Assistance. And the consequences were huge. When you go the extra mile for someone, it's a practical demonstration of your friendship, a seal, if you like. So there we are, three characteristics of great friendships. Authenticity, acceptance, assistance. And in just a moment, we're going to talk more about how we can be great friends. Has anybody seen that film yet, Slumdog Millionaire? Uh, yeah, I saw it this week. I just fantastic film. Did you think it was good? I just, absolutely brilliant. Blew me away. You see where it won all the Oscars. Can I, I uh, not on commission or anything, but can I recommend if you get a chance to go and see it? It's just brilliant film. 
and it's a film about the power of friendship amongst other things but one of its great themes is the power of friendship that sort of weaves its way through the story just brilliantly done we need good friends because great friends are there for each other it's what happens in Slumdog Millionaire it's what we heard about in that song that we had the media to a few moments ago about sending sending love to someone about great friendships and I am convinced that the absolute key to having great friends is to be one the absolute key to making sure you have good friends is to make sure first that you are one there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the question where can I get great friends who are authentic, who accept me and who assist me is completely the wrong question where can I find these friends that is the wrong question to be asking the right question is how can I be one of these kinds of friends because I'm absolutely certain the way to have great friends is to be one first Jesus was speaking once about friendships and about the peril of judging other people before looking at ourselves and he said this do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own how can you think of saying to your friend let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye hypocrite first of all get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friends I find that interesting and deeply profound for you will be treated as you treat others and I'm certain that's true it's utterly hypocritical for us to judge everyone else's problems before dealing with our own those who are self-obsessed self-absorbed insecure or unforgiving don't tend to have great friends those who are rude to or about people look round one day and say where have all my friends gone being a great friend is the key to having great friends thinking of ourselves with sober judgment as Paul puts it is the key to being a great friend but Paul goes on to say some other things in that letter he said this love must be sincere hate what is evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in love honour one another above yourselves never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer share with God's people who are in need practice hospitality these are the keys to being a great friend and again it's the easiest thing in the world if our relationships aren't going right to blame other people and of course it may be true that other people are at fault but today I want us to concentrate on ourselves how can we be better friends the first thing is to be sincere don't wear masks be yourself a great friendship is built on sincerity authenticity we've already talked about being yourself not a pretense or a show or boasting to get people's friendship second thing Paul says hold tight to everything that is good we might put it like this think the best of people so often these days we are cynical, judgmental and sceptical and very often we are driven that way by the media and what we watch and what we read instead why not try thinking the best of people 
When something goes wrong, instead of jumping straight in with accusations and criticisms, stop and ask yourself, why has this happened? If I were to think the best of this person, maybe I'd start thinking, they don't normally do that. Maybe there's a reason why they've done that. Instead of going in all guns blazing, maybe I should try asking if everything's okay. Next Paul says, love each other. Love your friends as if they were your brothers and sisters. Just love people for who they are. Not what you'd like them to be, but for who they are. Next, honour others more than yourself. Put others first. Be selfless, not selfish. Again, hugely countercultural, because we are pressured to be individualistic, looking after number one. Jesus once said this, greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their lives for their friends selflessness next thing never give up keep going sometimes we do things wrong we're human sometimes people will hurt and upset us keep going Paul says next thing take care of those in need look after other people offer practical support to people look out for those people others would ignore you can use what we have around the church here to help people We have a meals ministry where we have a freezer load of meals ready to go to people who might need them. If you have a friend, either in the church or not, who you know of is going through a tough time, call into the office and we'll get some meals sent to them. We have something we call our pastoral needs fund, which people give generously to, which we can use to help people financially if they're in need. If you know people like that, let us know. We might not always be able to, but we'd like to if we can. Offer practical support. We can help with that. Look out for those people others would ignore. Finally, Paul says, practice hospitality. Nothing better for building great friendships than opening up your home to people. It doesn't have to be an elaborate meal. Just ask people over to watch the football or a DVD or play with the kids or have a coffee. You know, we're not terribly good at this as a community, I don't think, and I count myself in this. Some people are. Some people do it really well. But in general, there isn't lots of it going on. Maybe it's just because we're so busy. But what if each of us made a commitment to ask four or five people over once a month? That would be huge. Ruth and I, my wife and I, we're not great at this. Sometimes we get a blitz on it and we go through to Canada months in advance and block out hospitality nights in the diary and try and organise people to come round and all of that kind of stuff. But then it drifts a bit and we get busy and life gets full of other things and we find we haven't had anybody over for ages. It's a great way to build friendships, hospitality, and we ought to do it more. So there are some great advice, I think, on building friendships from Paul. Be honest and sincere, think the best of people, never give up, show care, practice hospitality. So back to the question we asked right at the beginning of our event today. Do Facebook and other social networking sites help in building great friendships? Well, I think to some extent they might. They certainly help us get in touch with people, to meet people again, to remind us of people that we've known. uh, I had a, a friend request on Facebook just this last week from a guy I knew, Ruth and I knew, maybe 15, 18 years ago when we used to lead a youth venture holiday with another bunch of people. And when he first made this friend request, I had no idea who it was. And I was sort of scraping up from my memory who this person might be. And I was about to ignore the friend request, thinking it was just a nutter. And then I realized who it was, this guy. And so I accepted the friend request. And before I could say anything, suddenly lots of photos had been posted in which Ruth and I had been tagged. 
from 15 to 18 years ago, from when we used to do these adventure holidays, and uh, one of us was much thinner than we are now, but I'll leave that to your imagination. The other, one of us had a lot curlier hair than we have now. But it was amazing, and suddenly this photo was there with all these people that we used to know, and it just brought back all these memories, and uh, it was great to chat to this guy. I would never, ever have been back in touch with him if it wasn't for Facebook. I mean, that's the truth. And so I think social networking sites have great value. They can do amazing things like that. Help us to be in contact with people we wouldn't otherwise be in contact with. And that is what they're good for. But in my opinion, they can never replace or provide for good, deep friendships. You know that BBC article said, you know, we can have 150 friends, but at the heart of it, we need five or ten good, deep friendships. And Facebook can't really help with those. Facebook can't really help with that stuff. It can't replace my need, our need, that I think has been given to us by God, by the way, this need. They can't replace the need that we have for friendships that are centered around authenticity, acceptance, and assistance. Friendships that are sincere, honest, that think the best of people, that never give up, that show care, that practice hospitality. Now, as we've talked about these friendships, I suspect that there are some of us here thinking this right at this very moment. Well, that's all well and good, but if I'm going to be that kind of friend, who's going to do that for me? Who's going to do that for me? If I care for people, open up my home, think the best of people, be honest, and so on, what guarantees do I have that that is going to be returned, that others will invite me back, that others will return my friendship? And honestly, what guarantee do you have that that will happen? Absolutely none. But I tell you what I do notice, and it's this. In our community, in other communities like this, those who place themselves right at the, at the centre of friendship building by doing all of these things are never short of friends themselves. But to do these things for what we can get back is actually to miss the point completely. We should be doing these things, being great friends, because it's the right thing to do. I'm aware I sound like Tony Blair when I'm saying that, but nevertheless, it's the right thing to do. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you should be doing these things because it's what Jesus and Paul expect you to do. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this that they, they would lay down their lives for their friends. I'm just going to have a, a moment of quiet and then I'll pray. But I just want to say this, as we have this moment of quiet, I wonder whether you would think about an area that we've talked about this morning where you need to do better or where you feel you could do better to be an even better friend. Acceptance, assistance... Um, whatever it might be, is it uh, being more loving, being devoted to someone, is it taking care of somebody in need, is it practicing hospitality, all, all those things being more sincere and authentic, all of those things we talked about this morning, just bring to your mind in a moment of quiet that thing that you know you need to work on. So just do that and then I'll pray about it. So, Father God, I just want to pray that you would uh, help us with these things that we have in our minds right now of where we need to be a better friend. 
And uh, I, I pray that you'd help us to take up the challenge this morning that actually the way to have great friends is to be a great friend first. So help us to grow in these areas that you talk, we're talking about. Authenticity, assisting, accepting, uh, being sincere, thinking the best of someone, whatever it might be. Lord, I pray for your strength through the power of your spirit, your presence with us, to help us grow in these things. And perhaps now you just bring into your mind a friend. Uh, maybe a friend that you already have, who you know is struggling right now. Uh, maybe somebody that you're, you wouldn't necessarily count as a friend yet, but you'd like to. Maybe a neighbor. Maybe somebody who you'd love to introduce to the love of God. Whatever it might be, just bring into your mind a friend or two now. And then I'm just going to pray for them. So all across this room, we're now in our mind's eye thinking about one, two, three, four people who either are our friends and are struggling or in need or whatever, or who we'd like to be friends or we'd like to reach out to in some way. Again, I just pray that you give us the strength and the courage to do that. You know, there are maybe 40 or 50 of us in this room. We've each got two or three people in our mind. It's over 100 people we're thinking about right now. And we could have such an impact on their lives through the power of friendship. So again, I just pray that you'd help us to be great friends to these people we're thinking about. God, we realize that so often we are the answers to our prayers, that you choose to work through us to answer the prayers that we're praying, to show us how you can use us to answer our prayers to these people we're thinking about. And just as we sort of continue in an attitude of prayer, we're going to watch our final uh, song together, which is actually called Prayer for a Friend. And, and it is just that, a prayer. So if you want to, watch this, listen to it, use it as a prayer for the people that you've been thinking about.